welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello and welcome to episode 243 of the podcast. You're going to hear a different tone of voice today because we are celebrating Father's Day over at the show. I know this is the Extraordinary Moms podcast. And we heard from the sweet wife of this extraordinary father. Brittany Price was over on the show on episode 138. At the time, she was raising three young boys all on her own after losing her husband. But on that episode, she mentioned how she was recently engaged to Daniel Brooker. And so now she is Brittany Price Brooker and Daniel, her sweet husband, have combined their kids, combined their families. Now they have a whole herd of kids that they're raising together working through the challenges of blending a family, but celebrating in the hope that comes after loss. I wanted to have Daniel on because I wanted to hear more about his fatherhood journey, what life looked like with his first wife, what losing her was like, how he helped his kids through that transition, and then what life has been like since meeting Brittany, the challenges that have come with blending their families, like I said, and what he loves about Brittany as a mother and a wife. It's going to be a great episode, and I just want to really honor all the fathers out there that are working so hard to serve their families in extraordinary ways. And Daniel, I know, is just one representative father of so many out there who have extraordinary husbands and extraordinary fathers for their children. So I just want to celebrate all of your fathers and all of your husbands and all the dads out there who really strive to make an impact on their kids. So let's get to my conversation now with Daniel Brooker. All right, I'm thrilled to be chatting with the other half of Brittany Price Brooker, Daniel Brooker. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Jessica. How you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am good to go. Good to go. Just got the kids down, so I think the we're doing well we're successful so far that is successful (laughs) well the interesting thing is when I talked to Brittany she was newly engaged to you and now you have done many months how long have you been married now yeah we're creeping up on a year see one month wait July 16th will be a year okay well happy early anniversary but a lot has changed since then but I really wanted to dive deeper into your story of fatherhood as we get this is our father's day episode we want to celebrate you and the incredible work you've done with your kids and now blending families with Brittany but will you just give me a little background on yourself and your family yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up in South Georgia as a uh, as a big family. I was I was one of eight kids, wow. and so I was stuck right in the middle of those eight kids. There were seven boys and one girl. It, crazy! It, it sounds <laughs> as crazy as it as it really was. And so, so I grew up like I said in this as you know, a preacher's kid kind of set up, and um, and so went to this stage of literally having, you know, half of my siblings older than me, half of them younger. You know, I had a dad that was very preachery, judge-type personality, and so he was very type-A personality coming towards us kids. And so it was a an entire world of trying to figure out where in the world do I fit in? Do I, do I try to get along with it? Do I try to get accepted by the older kids, or do I leave the younger ones? And what does that even look like? And it was, all, it was years of, of being really shy, I mean, incredibly shy, as a young kid, 
and they're trying to find my place. And so a lot of awkward years, I'm glad there's not very many pictures to remember. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's the, that's my childhood in a nutshell. All right. And then how did you meet your first wife? Yeah. Um, great question. So, uh, in this awkward season uh, of trying to figure out where my place was, what was was I good at, was it sports, was it whatever, uh, I was 15 years old, so the height of my awkwardness uh, was kicking in, and so I went to one of the highlights of my year as a, uh, just a, a sheltered kid, I guess you would say, was summer camp, and so we go to summer camp each year, and this particular year, I was 15 years old, and I remember uh, being at the gym playing basketball. It was one of the things I thought I was good at, even though I wasn't. I was like, this is my thing. I can I can definitely excel at this. So we're out there playing basketball with guys, and a, they said a group of girls walked in. I just remember my story is I remember one girl walking in, yeah. and uh, it, was, it was a girl named Lindsay. She was 13. She had the ponytail that gave her the instant facelift. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was a classic look. And, and so she came to the gym, and even in my – really really shy stage I was brave enough to go up and introduce myself to her and I did and years later realized that's something that I never would forget it was it's been ingrained in my memory and she never remembered it so I definitely didn't leave a good impression on her her <laughs> or a lasting impression but I thought I was doing good to, to even introduce myself and so uh basically she was the popular kid everyone loved being around her and I was a forgettable kid <laughs> obviously and uh and the thing that just drew me to her was, you know, all this, this season of growing up and trying to figure out where my, where my place was, I didn't, the environment I grew up in was not geared towards how to love people and how to love people well. It was, uh, I, I guess, candidly, I was taught why I was better than other people, why I was important, why I, you know, should deserve this and whatever. It was very just a proud um, perspective that was poured into me, unfortunately. Hmm. And when I saw Lindsay, and how she chose to love people where they were and just, just, just lit up a room. It was a very attractive quality. And I was like, well, if she can do that, I want to learn how to do that too. And that's something that I want to, I'm just drawn to. And so got to know her, uh, just pursued her until she finally just said, all right, you know, you're okay. And I'll give you a chance. <laughs> and uh, through years, I mean, this is from 15 until 24, so nine years of long-distance relationships. I was four hours away from her. And uh, so that goes slow. When you don't have a driver's license, it really slows things down. Yeah. And then you kind of go from there. But over the years, uh, you know, spent more time together and ultimately, uh, you know, convinced her to fall in love with me. And uh, and we pursued marriage. So it was, she was my first love. Uh, you know, all those things that, you know, you hear about in these, uh, these stories. And, and so I pursued her and at the age of 24, uh, married her. Wow. That is so incredible. And you went on to have how many kids with Lindsay? Yeah, so so we actually we adopted two kids. Really, um, a boy, oh. a boy. Yeah, we adopted we adopted Ethan when he was seven months old, and uh, in just a crazy story. But it was you know a very very sad story, and we knew that he needed a, a good home, and so we said yes to that, and uh, and welcomed him into our home, and that was in April, and that same year in December we adopted Aubrey, so she was a newborn. And so in eight months, I guess it was eight months, I'm, I'm homeschooled, so forgive me if my dates are off, but mm-hmm. I can't have, but, but it was from April to December, we adopted two kids, so we went from zero to two, and we did not know what we were doing, but we figured it out on the fly. Wow. And God just gives us the strength to figure it out. So that was the, the chaotic went from, and that was two years after marriage, so we started a, a 
trend to adopt a year after marriage. And uh, really, at the second anniversary of our marriage, we, we adopted Ethan, and was shortly after that offered. Wow, that is incredible. I can't imagine becoming, you know, instant unexpected parents like that, but to know that you're doing the right thing by providing a home for kids that need them so desperately, I'm sure that just, I don't know, you just buckle up and you just do it, huh? Oh, man. I, I really, you know, just I really felt like going into it, you know, I had just a wrong perspective, but I felt like going into adoption, I was going to be the one to rescue these kids, and it was going to be like, you know, I don't know, like a, a point for me. And mm. when we adopted the kids, I mean, it was the most humbling uh, experience I've ever been through. And it was just the honor of getting to be someone's dad and, and rescue them from chaos and, and harm. Uh, it wasn't look at me. It was look at God and, and look at what he put together and just so moved by his divine intervention in, in those situations. Wow. And had God already done a number on your heart in terms of pointing you outwards towards loving other people, like you said, Lindsay showed you how to do better? Or was that really a transformative catalyst for you in your relationship with God and just the way that you look outward to other people? Yeah, it was, it, it, initially, it was a learned behavior. It was something that I saw. I was so attracted to Lindsay and the way she loved people that it, it got, my, got me thinking, like, wow, you know, just caring about people, asking about them, holding them higher than myself. Um, it just is the start of a beautiful perspective in life. And, and so that was something that through learning and watching was part of it. And then as I realized that, my relationship with the Lord uh, even convicted me more of, of not being the way I was raised, unfortunately, and being more about, all right, God, you know, how can I love others well? How can I point them to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, humbling myself and just being more servant-hearted, more outwardly focused. And so, yeah, that, that was a transformation over really years and, uh, and as I matured in my relationship with Lindsay, the same happened also in my relationship with Lord. Those were kind of simultaneously growing. And, and so adoption was just a, a, a part of that, a part of that transformation, I would mm. say. That's so interesting because I think a lot of people may take for granted their ability to, you know, serve others and look outwards and things like that. And they may not even realize what they're doing. But you having been so acutely aware of your need for that shift – and the impact that you could make differently when you were looking up in, instead of inward, you were prepared yeah. and equipped better for these children then and to approach it with humility versus maybe as their savior. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was, wow. it was definitely, I mean, did not see it coming, but I was so, I mean, yeah. I, I cried like a baby walking, walking away from the situations. You know, we had Ethan in our arms and Aubrey, like, God, you have chosen for whatever reason for me and, and Lindsay to be you know, their parents yeah. and, and, to, and to love them and protect them and raise them and give them something that may not have had in other situations. And it was just, yeah, completely humbling. Amazing. You did end up losing your wife, Lindsay. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I'm so, so sorry for that loss for you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Um, yeah, it was um, something that was, it was a slow painfully slow battle and with a lot of highs and lows in there uh, and you know Lindsay was always super healthy from the time I met her at 13 until I'm 19 and uh, and just literally out of nowhere in the family history of this but she was diagnosed at 19 with ovarian cancer wow. and um, and just being very candid with you we were actually broke up at that point so there's there's a lot of great great moments with me and Lindsay but we were broke up simply because I was still learning and transforming and and at 19, and like, oh, it shouldn't, 19, I was 21, 
there's still a lot of lessons we were learning, unfortunately. And part of that was, was exactly what I talked about, pride and what is your way instead of God's way. And so we were still figuring that out, battling what that looked like as coming up adults, I guess you would call it, or near, nearly adults. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was a season of just trying to figure it out. And so she called me and says, hey, Daniel, you know, I know we have a lot going on, but I just want to let you know what's happening. And so literally from that phone call, uh, until I could get there four hours later, it was there was a second thought about what was going on. I knew I knew that I loved her. She knew that she loved me, and we just I would say, God, you take care of this relationship. We're fussing over things that don't even matter. And uh, so she went to the hospital, and I can just tell you honestly, from that moment, we completely just confirmed in our hearts that God had called us together, and it brought us back together, kind of saved our relationship, if you will. And uh, she went through she went through you know just the surgery at nineteen. It wasn't even a big deal there's no chemo radiation it was cancer but they said we got it you're good to go mm-hmm. and so we moved forward with plans for marriage and and uh and that took took a little while because we're still young but as i've actually bought an engagement ring two years later um when she was 21 the weekend i was going to ask her uh, that week she was diagnosed again with a, with a checkup she went to so 19 mm-hmm. was the first time 21 was the second time uh it was much much more severe major surgery, chemo, and all that involved, and as a result of that, um, she had to have a hysterectomy, so she wasn't able to have children, and so that was a complete come-to-Jesus moment where I was I was broken, she was broken, she was always wanted to be a mother, she was the oldest of nine kids, mm-hmm. and uh, so she had been raising kids, it felt like, already, uh, her younger siblings, and so coming to a place of saying, God, you know our heart's desire, you know that we want a family, and it's gone. And in our minds, it was completely gone. Someone even, I remember, mentioned to me, well, there's adoption. And I don't say this, uh, I say it's just being ashamed, but it's the truth. I was mad when they said adoption, because I, in my mind, I said, that's not the same, because it's not the same as a, a biological child, and I'm just I'm just mad. Hmm. And I just remember being very upset and broken in the hospital hallway, saying, God, I don't, I don't like this, and having to work through those emotions um, together. Over the months following that, we finally get to the place and say, God, we just we just have to trust you even when we don't understand. And so went through that, and she, went, she did chemo and rated chemo. Uh, we got married um, after she recovered from the chemo, and we started our life. We said, God, all right, let's, let's go. Let's do this. And so we, we, we moved and got our house and all these things, and had about five years where everything was perfect. Um, our health was great. We adopted Ethan and Aubrey. Life was kind of like back to what we'd imagined, but the two mm-hmm. kids were there that we dreamed about, even though it was an option. And then her health just uh, started declining again. Cancer turned back up, and, and we could never get past it. So for several years, uh, the kids were operating about three, even was about four. Um, um, for about a year, it was it was just a battle. It was a battle for life. And uh, if you've ever been exposed to cancer and, and what that does to a person, it's just a slow decline. And, and no matter what you do, we just you know, we prayed on our faces. We sought all the medical help we could, we could find. And, and ultimately, um, it, it got to the point where we knew it was, it was life and death. And, and uh, ultimately, ended up in a very, just a real way, um, um, found ourselves in the ER room. Um, and, and, um, Without going into all the details, it was just a place of uh, shock. Like, God, I, I can't believe that this is our reality. My wife is literally dying in front of me, and I, I can't I can't do anything to stop it. And uh, I remember finding myself 
this this isn't our story. This isn't how it goes. And and finally, just being able to have a few minutes with her, um, you know, as she was battling cancer, we never spoke about really. We didn't speak out what happens if, if you don't make it. We just didn't go there. And it was, so as a result of that, we never talked about, like, we never said final words. We never said things that, you know, that were in our, I never said them. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in the ER knowing this was, this was the last chance I had on earth to say these things. And I just remember whispering in her ear everything that I held back from saying things I was scared to say. And ultimately it meant thanking her for fighting for the family and for the kids and, everyone that loved her and thank you for being a shining light I mean there was so so many doctors and nurses impacted by her light wow. even when she was struggling you know she would check on the doctors when they came to check on her and this is when she was really bad losing weight and all these things that cancer does to you and so we go through the season of her being a light until the very end to everybody around her and I have to say these final words and I just remember and Brooke was telling her that I loved her and that I would somehow take care of the kids and uh and that it was okay mm. and something i never thought i would have to say is that it's okay to, to stop I, it's okay to go to heaven and, and uh i know you're gonna be better off and just thank her for who she was to me and what she had done and, and uh when i loved her and, and that was it and wow. in that moment it was easily the most overwhelming overwhelmingly painful thing i'd ever experienced but it, as crazy as it sounds, and I was raised completely, completely to not recognize emotion, not to not to experience God's presence in any way. It was all about logic and facts. But in that moment, all I can explain is that the presence of God was so thick in that room, and it wasn't it wasn't that you know you hear all these things about death, and I've never been that close to it before. It wasn't it wasn't as if she went to heaven. It was it was like heaven came down to get her. Wow. And in that room, in that room, in that moment, all I could do was step back and just raise my hands and worship something that I, I was not known for, not something that I normally ever find myself doing or think about. To step back and say, God, I don't get this, but you are wor- worthy of all my worship and praise, and I know you're real, and I know that she's okay, and I trust you even in this. And that's not because I'm spiritual or because I'm super whatever, but you can deny what was happening in that room to the point where even the doctors and nurses in the room were crying and they're they see this stuff every day they're around this and uh so i had to say goodbye and i walk out of this hospital completely confused and completely just numb and and not knowing what to even do from there so uh that was a season of saying all right god i don't know what to do but you have to carry me through this because i don't have the strength to go another step without you Wow. She was so, so lucky to have you by her side. I can only imagine the peace that would come when you know you're fighting so hard and yet you know your kids are going to be taken care of and everyone's going to be okay because God God has this. And that's the only reassurance there can be, truly, because that is, that is a devastating loss. And so did that peace walk with you out of those doors and help you through those initial weeks, months, Years, how long has it been, and how did you work through that grieving with your kids? Yeah, um, it, peace, peace was there, but it was also brokenness, complete brokenness. Sure. And, you know, that's the only person I'd ever loved, and, and you know, I didn't think the rules applied to us. Death wasn't part of our plan, in my, in my opinion. And I um, walked out just 
so that meant that meant hold I held it together during the visitation and the funeral. I actually spoke at the funeral, which I don't know how that even happened, but you know, I said was speaking just share hopefully uh, something that would point people to Jesus in the way that Lindsay would have wanted to, and and uh, so did that, and then immediately after the funeral, when my I guess when my job was done of honoring her in that immediate way, I uh, just got sick and just just shut down. I mean, it was mm. you know just for weeks, just kind of shut down, and that's that's no place I never want to be again. It was it was bad, and so went through that, and thankfully everyone around me, the family and friends, stepped in and took care of the kids when I couldn't. Um, and, uh, and did things for me in real ways uh, that I just wasn't ready to, to take care of. And so went to that place, and um, and the only thing I knew was, uh, you know, I kind of just kind of got stuck there for a while, and, and my family and friends realized it. So what they did was a month later, literally one month after the funeral, they said, we're going to get you out of the house. you gotta, you got to go somewhere. And uh, so there was a concert coming up in Atlanta. I lived in Augusta at this point um, is where all this was taking place. And Atlanta was, you know, about two hours away. And I uh, said, well, we're, we're going to take you to a concert, and you're going to get, you don't have a choice. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So we go to this concert, and it happens to be Hillsong. And, um, and they're there playing, and we're kind of in the back room, just kind of not really wanting to be there, not even just kind of just going through my, my emotions. And halfway through, you know, I've just been struggling this whole time with the fact that, I couldn't connect with Lindsay. Like, you know, it was someone that you've known and loved for so long. You text them all the time. You call them. You talk to them. Every day is, is a thought towards, okay, I'm going to tell this to them. And so that month, i just been defeated by the fact that I couldn't connect. I couldn't, you know, there's no way of talking to her. And I caught myself texting her or calling her out of habit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I get to this place in this in this concert where I'm like, God, I'm just I'm tired. I, have to, I, don't, I don't like this. And, uh, and it got to the place where I said, God, you know what? Even though I don't like this, I'm just going to just gonna stop and worship you and just, just shut down and just worship you and focus on that. And in that moment, that's probably, honestly, the first time I had worshiped God truly since the ER room, even though that was such a powerful moment. I let my emotions take over. And so I was just said, God, I just want to worship you because you are worthy. And in that moment, God spoke to my heart and said, that connection you desire with Lindsay, all that uh, time you wanted to that connection, you get it, but you only get it through me because she's worshiping me right now. When you finally get to the place of worshiping me, you're doing the same thing finally again, and that is your connection. And uh, it just wrecked me and just helped me understand that God is always worthy of our worship. And if I want to do something that's, that I'm going to be doing in heaven, something that Lindsay is doing in heaven, worship not only connects me with people next to me in the rows and the chairs next to me, but literally with heaven. And, uh, so I was encouraged by that and just kind of carried me through from that point of saying, God, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you even on the bad days when it hurts. I'm still going to push forward uh, mm-hmm. with purpose and, uh, and trust you even on the hard days. Wow. That takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith, especially in those early days when you feel like a newborn again, I'm sure, stepping out in faith. Yeah. Because it's easy to have faith when things are going your way and when things are going according to your vision. But when the rubber meets the road... Where do you put God in your life? And I'm so glad that you had yeah. that experience. And so how did that transform everything for you once you realized he was there for you to continue that connection with not only her but him? You were not alone in this. Well, yeah, it, it, it really, it, it, it was never seamless or pretty or like just, just yeah. graceful, but 
it got to the place where it was a lot of just real conversations with God. When I, when I didn't get it or didn't like it, 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 I just had to just be honest with God about that. But it took me from a place of literally crying out, why, God? Like, why is this my story? Why, why did I lose the love of my life? To finally get into the place of what, God, what, would, what do you want from me? What do you want from this season and this, this experience I've been through? What can you do with me, and what can you do that, to make this worth something and not wasted? Mm. And the immediate immediate answer was helping widowers. Um, one of the things I noticed when I was going through it was there's so many people that rallied around me, but in all of that support, there was not one single guy under the age of maybe 80 yeah. uh, that yeah. came forward and said, hey, I've been through this. I know what this feels like to lose a life at an early age um, and to have this you know, unexpected grief. Yeah, I want to walk with you through it. I want to help you. And I kind of resented the fact that nobody did just in, in, inside. And part of the answer of what was you need to be the answer for someone else. And so I just kind of agreed with the Lord that I would be available for people and them that, that, that walk through pain and grief and be able to help them too, even as I was fresh in my grief. And within that week, really, doors started opening without me saying anything. For, for guys that were going through the loss of their wife or the loss of a child or things along those those nature, but young guys that mm-hmm. were not ready and never even thinking about that. And so it really opened the door to help guys through a situation that I, I was just walking through as well. So it gave a lot of purpose to the pain. Yeah. And at what point was there a turning point in believing that there might be somebody out there again for you to love and share your life with? Was that even in your view or how did Brittany come into your life? Yeah, great question. Um, unexpectedly, I just said I committed to God to do, you know, if you think about it, agreeing to, you know, I kind of saying, all right, God, I'm going to help guys. Like, <laughs> no part of that plan does, does, you know, helping guys introduce you to a girl. And, right. You know, so my plans are not, not how, can I, how can I find someone else? And it really is such an awkwardly painful reminder to say, you know, I desire love and I desire marriage, but I still love my, you know, I love right. Lizzie and I'm grieving her. Like, what does that even look like? I never had any understanding of what that process would even even consume or, or be about. And so I just said, God, I want to be faithful what you've called me to. And that's what I did, just started helping guys. And, and through that um, crazy craziness, uh, there was actually a guy that had lost his wife, you know, same kind of age and same kind of situation. And as, as as everyone reached out to me, different people reached out to me to actually help this guy. At the same time, Brittany uh, was actually helping the family out as well, the family friend. Mm. And so through helping this guy, we we meet and uh, find out who each other is and start saying, okay, you know, at first it was, how can we help this family? But quickly it kind of turned to, who are you? Like, you're, <laughs> you're different. There's something yeah. about you. Yeah. And, uh, it went from just messages to, uh, I, I kind of initiated the, I did initiate it, so hey, can, I, can we talk? And uh, first conversation, I knew something was different about it. I mean, it sounds crazy, and so like, what well, really, Daniel, like you knew from the first conversation, but, but we were just very, very to the point of just like, you know, hey, what's God doing in your heart? And it was such a kindred spirit in that, not just because of what we had been through, but what we were willing for God to do with the pain. We're saying, God, here's what we want. Here's what we're open to, and God used this in our desire for what was to come, kind of bonded us together more than anything. 
I'm not gonna beat her in the bush. Who wouldn't? Have you seen her? Yeah. I know. I said, this girl, I literally, actually, I kind of called out, but there's no way that you're sweet and caring and as thoughtful and as loving as you, like, portray yourself. There's no way. Yeah, as you are beautiful. Yeah. It's too good. So I was very skeptical. Yeah, I was like, too good to be true. You're just no way. And the more I got to know her, um, and she, she was more than what I even thought she was, even better than than the you know posts she wrote and the stories she told and all these things that she had that seen. She was incredible, mm-hmm. and uh, and I knew that because of the the interrogations I got from her family members. So, <laughs> so they, it wasn't typical you know, Big Brother you know dad conversations. They they were they were checking me out. They're like, hey, you know, you're gonna come around on Brittany. We uh, we need to make sure you're okay. And uh, and now I see why. That's a, that's a at first that's a lot of a lot of walls and a lot of people <laughs> to get to her heart. And and they uh, they were protecting her. And I'm so thankful they were um, because she definitely is incredible. And so so the short and sweet is this: we uh, we you know we talked her a little bit and said, look, we have a lot of hearts on the line here. And I've got two kids, and uh, she has three boys, mm-hmm. and and. And if, if anyone's listened to her story, you know, just the, the brief recap is she, she walked through grief literally um, 30 days, 31 days after uh, I did. And so her husband, Patrick, passed away um, a month after Lindsay. And so unknown, unknown to both of us, we didn't realize, you know, each other's stories, our circles didn't cross in any way. Um, you know, we were both walking through this grief and through this healing kind of side by side. You know, it was kind of our cities away, not space away. And so when we met, we were kind of the same, same process, I guess you would say, same time frame. And we were excited about the fact that someone got, we got each other mm-hmm. and that we're both heading the same direction. So we pursued, I mean, I pursued hard and said, God, if you're in this, let's, let's go for it. And so we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we, and just the time frame and no one judge, don't judge us on this, but we met, um, we met around, uh, in February, March, uh, of this past year, and we got married in July, and so it was it was fast. No so judgment, like no the, judgment at all. You guys are a yeah. beautiful, beautiful couple, and you're so right. Walking that similar timeline, understanding where the other has been, making space for grief. Not anybody can just swoop in and fill that role. That's a very unique person, and to to understand each other's grief like that. It makes you perfectly suited, in my opinion. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. She is yeah. uh, incredible. I mean, I know people say this is a cliche, but she really is way out of my league. She's oh. incredible. Um, she's, I mean, she's just genuine. What you see yes. and what, you know, comes across through social media or anywhere else is just a glimpse of how special she is and just overwhelmed with her love and, and just her heart for the Lord. And you guys just seem to have so much fun together. I know that you have a lot of your on your plate with five little, little children under your roof. You have very long, tired days, I'm sure. But you seem to just really enjoy each other's company when you're able to get out and date each other. And Is it as much fun as it seems? <laughs> well, I, I will say this. So blending families, the responsibility that comes from that and the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, because you've got, I mean... Uh, You've got multiple families involved, and when you blend, it, then it's a lot of a lot more opinions and oversight and, and input, and then you have grief on top of the blend, and then there's you know hurt you know hurt perspective, and there's you know sensitive you know things to walk through, and so 
challenges, and thankfully we've brought in incredible people in our lives to speak in our lives, and people that are much wiser and smarter than us um, uh, with this type of situation and, and season, and they've brought us through it graciously, and we're so thankful for that because we definitely don't have it figured out. But in the middle of that, the reason why we do go on so many dates and it makes me memories of the family and take, you know, even trips to town. This has to be a cross-country trip. Yeah. Do all these things is to say we are so thankful for the time we have. We're going to use every moment as if, as if it's a gift, whether that's pulled into someone like the kids or someone around us or just each other and just making it an enjoyable time because you, you, you never regret going on dates. You never regret going on trips. And so, yes, absolutely, we soak it up. Mm-hmm. Bringing the planner so she keeps the calendar all lined up. Like, we have things planned out for two months, I think, way yeah. out. And I'm more than happy to accommodate and say, look, let's go. Let's mix it up. Let's go on hike. Let's go you know, eat. Let's do whatever. Let's make it fun. And uh, so definitely we, take it, we make the most of it. I love that idea because some people, they wait around until it's a better time or their kids are older or they're less tired or whatever it is. There's so much waiting that yeah. happens. I think in the average person's life until you're faced with a loss like you guys have experienced and you realize no waiting, no more. We got to live. And, and I love, and I love that you make space for the joy and for the fun because you know, that matters. You know, that matters. Yeah. What have you learned as a father now that you have your own kids that you've walked through the season with, and now you're a stepfather to her three boys. How have you evolved as a dad, Daniel? Wow, just easy questions. Yeah, super easy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, I, I guess my first reaction to that is one of the things with that, I didn't even see it coming, but I was set up for success in this way. Ethan and Aubrey are both adopted, so they're, you know, they're not my biological children. So mm-hmm. I learned to love children God placed in my life, and it, it's natural. It's not something I have to learn. You know, so it feels natural. The same is true for Peyton as an Nathan. Is it's a different situation, but it's also children God placed in my life that I had nothing to do with. Not my biological children; they placed them in my life for a purpose. And mm. so, for the same the same way that I can love Ethan and Aubrey, I can love the boys as well. And and I think God prepared my heart without me realizing it to say, I love you just as much. You know, I love all five of these of these kids equally because that's the only way I know how to love. Mm-hmm. And it, it really put me in place of saying, you know, you know, you see these families at church, they stand up in front of the congregation, they dedicate their church to the Lord, and they're, they're saying, you know, hey, I give this child back to the Lord, I recognize this child is on my own, but I've been given responsibility to raise these children. And and so I kind of look at it the same way as I've been given the responsibility, even if it is years after, you know, uh, you know, they've been born or years after loss, I've been given the responsibility to point them back to their Heavenly Father and, and just love them and raise them in a way that honors God. That means teaching them how to treat others, teaching them how to, to, to pursue God with all their heart. And if I can do that, uh, then I'm, I'm winning. You know? That's mm-hmm. been kind of the, the journey is knowing they're not really my own in any sense, whether biological or not, but they're God's and I've been given the responsibility through brokenness and through all kinds of situations That is a beautiful, beautiful approach and a beautiful visual for sure. That's really powerful. And God definitely did prepare you for this next season. I can see that. Tell me about Brittany as a mom. What do you love about her specifically in her motherhood role? 
man, that, that, that's, that's probably the toughest one. She's so, she's so talented. You know, she can sing, she can write, she can speak, she can check on people's hearts. And all those things are really good things about her. She's very talented in those ways, but even more so, she's talented as a mom. She was born to be a mother. And, like, things that I didn't do as a, you know, as a single dad, I would just tell the kids, don't do this, do this, don't do that. I would just say yes and no. Mm-hmm. She's over there, like, demonstrating what a good attitude looks like and demonstrating what the proper way to ask for something or disagree. And, and these are things I didn't even, like, contemplate I just want to really acknowledge your whole family for being so vulnerable and open with sharing your journeys and for you doing it today, especially. I know you guys are speaking a lot more places and Brittany is sharing her story and your story. And and I just think it's so beautiful that we can see God's hand over this whole story throughout all of your challenges and throughout all of the heartache that you've experienced. There's so much hope. And for people that are earlier on in this journey than you, to see you happy and healthy and thriving and still working through it at the same time, there's a lot of power in that. So thank you for for sharing today and for sharing continually as a family. I always ask my guests just one final question, and I'm going to adapt it for fatherhood. And I ask, what would you tell your pre-fatherhood self? Wow. Go way back. Another easy one. Um, yeah, you know, I would, I would say prepare for the season to come. Mm. Um, you know, you never know what's around the corner. You never know what's, what you're going to face. But I would tell my pre-fatherhood self to be in the word, to be ready to hear God's voice, um, to be, be prepared in spiritually because you don't, you don't recall the verses you didn't memorize. Um, you don't. You don't know the you know the, the encouraging words if you've never read them before, and so staying in the Word and being able to recall those in tough moments, being that leader for for kids that are asking questions and and wanting to know why things happen the way they do, and what does heaven mean, and what does salvation mean. All those things come from being in a season of preparation ahead of time. And so I would I would have absolutely told the younger pre father mm-hmm. Daniel, go get go get in the Word. Go pray, go pray more and get ready for, for what's coming because you can trust God. He does He does incredible things. His plan is better than ours even when we don't get it. Hmm. And be willing to trust Him enough to let go of your plans uh, and accept His. And, 
And I think if I would have learned that a long time ago, and I'm still battling and learning that, uh, things would have been a lot smoother in this season. But yeah, absolutely. Just prepare for the season by spending time in the Word with God. Mm. I love it. Daniel, happy Father's Day. I hope that you feel very celebrated and just loved by this crew of kids that are lucky to call you dad. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm honored every time I hear them call me daddy. It, they don't know, but it, it makes me tear up when I hear it. I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed with God's goodness. Even in brokenness, there is good and there is purpose. And uh, I'm just so thankful uh, that I get to be their dad. Oh, that's so sweet. Happy Father's Day, and thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, how'd you like that? <laughs> Daniel is such an extraordinary father, and I hope you'll check out his wife Brittany's episode on episode 138 of the show, where she shares about her own personal experience with loss and finding love again. And I love that we were able to get this update from Daniel now a year later from when we last heard from Brittany. I wanted to give Brittany an opportunity to give Daniel a little Father's Day shout out. So here's a quick note from Brittany wishing her husband a happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, babe. I am so thankful for you and the way God has used you in a mighty way to bring so much healing and hope and encouragement to our family. You lead in such an amazing way that honors the Lord and honors people around you. Thank you so much for your your humility, the way that you pour into each of us. Even when you've had to pour out all day at work, you come and you have such a sweet, kind spirit and always make fun out of everything. Thank you so much for making sure that every night we all go to bed laughing instead of crying. Thank you so much for fighting every battle on your knees and winning every time because you trust Jesus and you trust that he is going to make so much purpose out of this pain. I am so proud to be chosen by God to walk this journey and be your helpmate in life. And I am so honored and grateful for the gift that you are my husband. Thank you so much for being an amazing father. Thank you for honoring my sweet Patrick and always making sure the kids remember all their um, parents in heaven and also allowing them to be able to be happy here on earth. Thank you so much for all that you do. I love you. So sweet. Match made in heaven if I've ever seen one. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or over on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Like I said, everything from the show, past episodes, this episode, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com is your place. Thank you so much to everyone that's been sharing the show, leaving comments. It means so much to the show, to me personally, and I just love you. I love you for it, and I love hearing about your stories and the way these episodes encourage you. So if you are feeling inclined, if a show really speaks to your heart, don't hesitate. Reach out to me. Email me, jessica at extraordinarymomspodcast.com, or you can leave a message on Instagram, whatever. But I just love hearing how these stories are impacting you, and it makes it that much more worthwhile to continue the podcast and continue all the labor that goes into producing this show. So don't hesitate to reach out and tell me a show that you have loved, and definitely reach out to the guest as well if their message has really resonated with you. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.